You're listening to Grace on Fire, episode 80. You're listening to Grace on Fire, home of Grace Nation. It's not just another podcast. It's the voice of a movement. Join now at MyGraceNation.com. MyGraceNation.com. What's up, Grace Nation? Another power-packed episode. Getting ready. And here we go. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, a.k.a. the Reverend Dr. Smitty. And it's good to be back here with you once again on the Grace on Fire show. I hope you're getting fired up. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm cruising on some high-octane caffeine. Got a little bit of fun to do. And just, in general, feeling super good to be with Grace Nation. I love Grace Nation. Absolutely love it. Y'all my people. I love my people. And hello, Grace Nation. And today on the show, we're asking the question. We're looking at the problem and we're daring to challenge why we can't get a decent night's sleep. Oh my gosh. You know, if you told me 20 years ago how difficult it would be to get a decent night's sleep, I'd be like, whatever, you know, whatever. And then, you know, you hit your 40s and then, whoa, what happened? All of a sudden, I'm awake at night, tossing and turning with the decisions that I have to make and the challenges and the pressures. And guess what? They just keep getting heavier. Do you feel that way? Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel like that no matter what you're doing in your life, that you just all of a sudden the weight just gets bigger and bigger and you have to carry more and more and more? And then you find yourself tossing and turning at night? Let me just tell you something. That sucks. It totally sucks. I mean, oh my gosh, I don't think there's any other word for it. If you have ever been there where you're just lying in bed, you know, you go to bed and you're because you're, you're, you're just so exhausted from the day, right? And then at about 2.30, you wake up. And if you're a guy, it's because you have to pee. Um, but you wake up and then you're just rolling and tossing and you can't get comfortable and all of this stuff. And it's stress. It's total stress. And... Ladies and gentlemen, a stressed out Christian is just not a good thing. I've shared with you before in the past that, uh, and and I'm and actually let me just say this right up front. I'm beginning more and more to realize that, uh, and I'm not the only theologian that's ever said this, but I think that the core problem in this life is fear and anxiety. Let me just say that the core problems that we face in life very often are based upon fear and anxiety. They are, in fact, I think anxiety is the core symptom of the sinful world that we live in. Let me stop and really think about that, okay? If if we lived in complete, uh, if we lived in complete freedom and understanding that God, there was, in other words, there was no problem with God, there was no such thing as sin, uh, you know, would we experience anxiety? No, I don't think we would. And the reason why I think that we experience anxiety is because of all of the unknowns, the the risks, the the unknown things that can happen. And so 
therefore, we, we just live with the general pressure. You know, we don't know how our colleagues are going to work, are going to act at work. We don't know if the, our business is going to make it or not. And, and if your business is really struggling, you really don't know. It, and you're wondering when that next paycheck is going to come. And, and, and you're afraid to do this and you're afraid to do that. And all of that stuff, all that anxiety that begins to emerge in our lives, I think is a direct result of the brokenness of the world. Prove me wrong, okay? What other possible symptom could there be that is greater than anxiety? I mean, let me just say, anxiety sucks. It sucks. I hate anxiety. But we have to learn and control and manage it. And as Christians, we know that there's those commands, those wonderful commands, do not be anxious about anything, and yet we are. Yet we are. Jesus says, do not worry, yet we do. And so there's some kind of wrestling that we undergo each and every day that I think is a direct result of the fact that we still live in this broken, sinful world. Now, we're going to talk again more positively about these things uh, because that we want to understand and press grace into the matter. But what we want to do today is to look at that time period where we're, we're most vulnerable. And one of those areas that, I, at least for me, is at night, okay? So one of the, 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 one of, probably one of the most interesting things that I ever heard uh, actually came uh, from a guy, and and I forgot his name, so you all have to forgive me. But one of the most interesting things that I ever came across was this. He he, uh, shoot, for, I can't remember his name now. But he talked about this idea. You know, it, it's the idea of avoiding tension, uh, avoid tension relieving behaviors, and focus on goal achieving. Now, the problem in that tension relieving goal achieving paradigm is that we, you know, how do you do just that? particularly when the tension is so intense. The last thing you can do is just get focused on another goal because that creates more tension. You know, there's you stress and distress. You stress is positive stress. Distress is negative stress. Well, stress is stress. And our bodies react to stress the exact same way. And so today what we're going to talk about is what do you do when you're having these restless nights. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that sleepless nights and the lack of sleep as a result of anxiety can really be a crippling thing in our lives. And it, and it, and, but this is the problem. It creeps up, creeps up on us real slowly. So we're going to be talking about that today on the show, on our feature presentation. Also, we're going to do some more street theology today, looking at God's empowering, uh, liberating power. We're going to be, we're going to put in some, some context around that and God's command to choose life. Also, I've got a tip of the week for you, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, his uh, podcast, so hang in there, and then we're going to get right into our feature presentation on the show. Thank you so much for listening, and let's roll it. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. All right, and doing a little street theology today. And as always, street theology is the art of practical living out your faith each and every day. And what we're trying to do is to take some really strong, heavy theological concepts and just pour them out into your daily life. And so, you know, one of the challenges that I find among evangelicals, and I as I is an evangelical, by the way, and and I, by the way, there, I can, I'm just, okay, this is just a tangent, all right? Here's the tangent, all right? Rabbit trail. I am proud to be an evangelical, and there is so much negativity around evangelicals, and I don't care. 
I don't care if some snooty snot so knows somebody says, so, oh, you're evangelical. Ugh, so stupid. I don't care. Your evaluation of my intellect has no consequence on my own self-concept. So thank you very much. But I do think that there's a rich, powerful tradition of deep intellectual thought within the evangelical world. But we've lost it. We've lost it. And so we, we do have to... We do have to reclaim that. But part of the reason why we've lost that intellectual heritage is that I think that we are suffering from a problem. And this is the problem, all right? This is now, all right, get ready. This is heavy. It's called theological determinism. Now, what do I mean by theological determinism? Essentially, if you go back to philosophy, and if you've ever had a college philosophy class, I took one uh, in junior college and, uh, you know, it was just called philosophy. You had to take this course. And so, the philosopher who was teaching this, I mean, he wasn't really, I mean, it was, you know, it was community college, right? So, he was, it wasn't like the most profound philosophy course that I've ever had. I, I, I since then, uh, have learned what actual th- philosophy looks like. This guy was just basically pontificating whatever his own self-help schemes were. But I was introduced to two concepts in that philosophy class. And the philosophy class was essentially the difference between determinism and free will. Now, for my Calvinist friends, they hate the, the concept of free will. And I actually do not think that that's a biblical uh, idea. And I'm going to break that down for you in just a moment. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because most evangelicals, I believe, suffer from theological determinism. And so, what do I mean by that? Essentially, it is a view of God that puts God as the sovereign in every single choice, in every single action, either, you know, either indirectly or directly is all determined by God. In other words, God is the cosmic puppet master, and we just have strings attached. And so, everything that we do, everything we respond, every, the way every, everything we do ultimately is a result of the cosmic puppet master pulling the strings. And the problem with that is that leads to Christian fatalism. I think there's also a little bit of a nihilism involved with that. And, and what do I mean by nihilism? Well, nihilism is this view that, you know, nothing matters. It's all going to burn anyways. Who cares? Honestly, I remember evangelicals saying that when I was younger, right? God's going to come back and just destroy everything. What's the matter? God's judgment is coming. You're going to burn, man! If you have ever had that thought, or you've ever heard someone say that, to me, that's theological determinism. And the problem with theological determinism, and that really does come out of hyper-Calvinism, is it's not biblical. I mean, it just isn't. And I think that what we need to do is we need to pull back from this as evangelicals, because if we are really are just you know, part of the cosmic strings of God, then how, I mean, what what real joy is that? It, it creates a God, a view of God, and, and I want to say creates a God and a view of God. That's probably not the right way of saying it. By the way, this is all extemporaneous, so this is just me kind of thinking through things. But it creates a view of God where almost free will and the human person and human responsibility is totally crushed. Now, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible actually presents a dualism in such a way 
where there is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. The way that I like to understand it, it's the the creator-creature distinction. There is God and man, and they really are two, um, it, they're, they're two, uh, we could call them spheres, realms, etc., whatever you want to do. Uh, there's lots of different language around that, but you get the creator-creature distinction. And the question is, for the creature, that is you and I, for human beings, do we have free will? Now, in the 39 articles, of which I am a subscriber to, of the 39 articles, that in the 39 articles of the Anglican Church, there is a paragraph on free will. Now, here it is. Ready? This is a really good, I love the clever language here of Thomas Cranmer as he wrote this. And I'm sure that this was actually uh, shifted a little bit over over uh, time. But listen to this. It says, the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works to faith and calling upon God. Okay, so the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works to faith and call upon God and calling upon God, okay? So this is what this is saying, all right? It is saying that we were born with free will, but something happened, sin. Sin came into the world, right? And so then it goes on to say, wherefore we have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God. Now we need to qualify that phrase, all right? We have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God. The idea there is the idea of righteousness, all right? It's doing right things in order to appease God. Good works, pleasant, acceptable to God. Why? Why would we even do such a thing, right? As part of our relationship with him. And then it goes on to say, without the grace of God by Christ preventing us, that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. Now, the word preventing is the critical word here. It's an old, old, archaic English word. We don't use it in the same way uh, today as it's being used here. But the idea here is preventing. When you prevent something, right, if you were to prevent an action happening, you are going before that action to prevent it from happening. So in this use, God's grace comes into our life and prevents us or goes before us so that we can actually do good works, have free will, etc. In other words, this is what's so cool about this. There's two ways to understand our will. When God restores our will through his provenient grace, that is the grace that he has poured out onto this world through the cross of Christ, through the atonement. Remember last week we talked about the propitiation. This week we're talking about this, this the effect of the atonement onto the world. That when that happens that we are actually restored to do something. And this is the way I like to do it, because I think that this word liberate is something that you got to wrestle with. And you need to wrestle with it because it's scriptural. It's scriptural. Luke 4, 17, or excuse me, Luke 4, 18 and 19, um, talks about how Christ came to liberate. He uses that word several times, to liberate captives, um, etc., and declare freedom. And so the way that I like to do this is that God's grace, 
God's atonement liberates us from slavery to sin, and God liberates us for a relationship with him. In other words, God liberates us to love him. Now, let's talk a little bit about some scriptural basis for this. And if you go to Deuteronomy 30, and I like going to the Old Testament for this because it's one thing to say this out of the New Testament, isn't it? But, you know, a lot of times what happens is that uh, biblical scholars, theologians, will go to the Old Testament to build their case about the sovereignty of God. And so, I like to go back to the Old Testament to bring in a little bit of balance to the sovereignty of God, because we want to understand the responsibility of human beings. And so, listen to what Deuteronomy 30 says. It's probably one of my most favorite verses in the Old Testament. So, he, he sets this up like this. See, I have set, be- this is 30 verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now, listen to that. That's awesome. So, God is looking to the people, Israel. Moses is preaching to the people, and this is what he's saying. He says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Does that not preclude a choice? Hmm. Ooh, wow. A choice is being presented to us. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, if you obey, okay? So, again, choice by, listen to the word, loving the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and God will bless you. All right? Do you hear that? If you wanted to know what's the highest purpose of your life for that, that God has, listen to it. Obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Walk according to his ways. Keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his rules. In other words, living a life of holiness. And then what did he say? You shall live. Interesting, isn't it? That life is associated with obedience. But then he says something else. He says, but if your heart turns away from what? From God, and you will not hear. That is, you're not listening. But you worship other gods. Oh, idolatry issue. And serve them, you shall die. Now, this is incredible because in verse 19, he does something. All right, Moses says, I call heaven and earth, all right, the creation itself to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So God is looking to the people of God, to his people. He's looking to Israel, and he is setting up a choice. And what's remarkable is that the Old Testament after Deuteronomy 30, the rest of it is basic unfolding of how Israel decided, no, I don't want to worship you. I want to do my own thing. And how that led them to total self-destruction. All right? So he says in verse 19, after he draws the creation as a witness to this, all right, he says, he gives the command, and there's the key word, ready? Therefore, choose life, that your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, 
obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land. Now, that land there is, a, is retranslated into the New Testament and understood what we will use a word as typologically a salvation, all right? It's salvation, that you may have salvation that was promised. And that's the thing about this, isn't it? So, I hope that you're hearing choice, that, that we have each and every day a choice, even as Christians, all right? that we have a choice to make each and every day. Are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? Are we going to engage life-building activities, all right? Are we going to look at how to develop a sustaining and flourishing life? Or are we going to get caught up in the self-destructive tendencies of abandoning God and worshiping other things, of, of getting caught up in dysfunctional relationships that are bad for us? Let me just tell you something. That is a choice that we make each and every day. So, do we have free will? The answer is yes. But by God's grace, it empowers us and it liberates us for the love of God. It liberates us to love God. Whereas before, prior to becoming a Christian, we could not love God, but because of God's grace, we could or we now can love God. And so, I think it's something here that that when we talk about life it, it, as a Christian, and, and one of the things that I would suggest is that when things are going bad in our Christian walk, as when things are starting to not work, have we fully understood the liberation that we have? When we begin to talk about God, you know, well, this is God's plan for me to be miserable. That's not true. When bad things happen, well, I guess it's just God just working on his will in my life. Give me a break. He's giving us freedom. This also is one of the choices that, you know, when young people, they say, well, I'm trying to figure out what God's will of my life is. Usually they're talking vocationally. But experts that have studied vocation and the development of vocation, typically, you know, young people don't know what they want to do for the rest of their life. I know that because I still don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I do know this. I love talking with you, Grace Nation. Absolutely passionate about this. But if you stop and think about this, that's the wrong question. The question is, is that what, God, what is God liberating you to do? What is it that, that you love to do? What is your passion? Go pursue your passion and give thanks and glory to God for that passion. And now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And that brings me to a uh, tip of the week. And it's not so much a life hack, but hey, listen, I've got a dear friend, Mario Escobedo. Mario, I sure hope that I, I said that right. You know me, I'm just a gringo. But um, he has got a podcast and Mario and I are have joined together also with my colleague, Brian Russell. I've had him on the show before and we're developing a mastermind group. And uh, it's a pot, and basically, what our mastermind group is, is that it's designed uh, for us to get together and to critique each other and to uh, bounce ideas off of in a safe environment. And it's really designed to help build us up. And so, uh, mastermind groups are, are a phenomenon that you see in a lot of different places. Uh, so, I told Mario that I would give a shout out to his uh, podcast. So, go check him out at the Christian Bro Code Podcast. I'll have a link in the show notes to this at mygracenation.com forward slash G-O-F-80. Go ahead, check him out. The Christian Bro P- Code Podcast. 
And now, it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings us to the feature presentation. Don't ruin your joy, man. Listen, I'm really passionate about this as Christians. Christians, listen, we should be the most joyful. We should be the most positive. We should be the most purpose-filled um, human beings on the planet. I mean, when someone looks at you and they're asking how your day is going, I mean, you should just be on spot. Hey, having struggles today, but overall, I feel great. I'm moving in the right direction. Even if you feel terrible physically, how about mentally? And that's the challenge, isn't it? And sometimes we don't. And the reason why we don't is because we don't know yet how to incorporate practices in our lives that reduce anxiety, that manage our fears and our frustrations. We have all these wonderful scriptures that tell us, which I share with at the beginning of the show, that basically command us to say, hey, don't have anxiety and fear. And yet the question is, well, how do you implement it? Unfortunately, Jesus didn't say, you know, okay, here's your 10 tips to your best life now. No, he doesn't do that. But he does give us some commands to faith, hope, and love. So how do we do that? And that is the practical aspect of wisdom as we begin to un- to you know to unpack these things. Now, listen, I've got to tell you this. A lot of non-Christian secular psychologists have started to figure this stuff out. And we would be foolish not to listen to what they have to say. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of secular non-Christian psychologist stuff here just because they're pointing out that there's some things going on in our physical bodies that we need to pay attention to. And one of those things is the lack of sleep. Now, let me tell you about something that happened to me just recently. So I bought a new truck and I love this new truck. But man, when I bought the truck, I had some serious, serious buyer's remorse. And the reason why I had some serious buyer's remorse is because it was expensive. And I, you know, as a pastor, one of the things that I've I, I've actually begun to realize about myself is that I will love other people to the detriment of myself and my family. I will I will not take care of myself the way that I should. And I also have a difficulty rewarding myself. In fact, I have a great difficulty doing that. I feel guilty when I buy stuff for myself, except for my podcast, but that's different, right? <laughs> So anyways, but I I do. And so I bought this beautiful truck. I needed a truck and um, I have been wanting a truck for 18 years. All right. So this has been like one of those things. My wife said I went through a midlife crisis and I probably did. I totally embrace that. By the way, I love being being in my 40s. Love it. It's awesome. I'm sure I'll say that about my 50s. I'm pro- I'm pretty sure I won't say that about my 80s. Um, only because I <laughs> I know so many people in their 80s and they're like, oh, it's so hard getting old. It ain't for sissies. Anyway, so I may be that crotchety old guy one day. But anyways, getting back to what we're talking about. So I had this incredible buyer's remorse and I actually lost some sleep over it. And then the next day I felt terrible. Now, you know, I don't want to go into all the details of, you know, the justification. I needed a new car. My car was dying. It, it was dying. I was actually going down the road one day and I just stopped running. And it and it, I just had to sort of veer off to the side. I mean, the engine just quit. Um it, it's, it was scary. It was, it was an old car. It, it was a beater. It, it turned into a beater. It used to be a nice car, and then it became a beater. So I had no remorse getting rid of that car. But when you buy something new and expensive, I mean, it's expensive to me. I mean, I'll be expensive to other people. It was expensive to me. I started feeling some, some guilt about this. And in fact, I got so guilty about this that I, I went to bed that evening, 
And then I woke up at 2.30 just in, in full-blown anxiety attack. Full-blown anxiety attack. Now, I don't, I'm using this as an example because I don't really want to talk about buyer's remorse and all those sorts of things. But um, what I really want to talk about is this phenomenon of anxiety at nighttime. So I did a little bit of research on this, and it turns out that this is a very common problem. And it's a subtle problem that we may not even be aware of, that if you struggled with just sleeplessness or you're tired or you feel fatigued going throughout the day, each and every day, the chances are that you may be dealing with some anxieties and fears that may be manifesting itself in poor sleep. And if that's you, you've got to pay attention to this. So let me tell you about something that happened to me. So that night I I'm just so so let me let me back up. So the whole evening I'm really dealing with stress and I'm really I'm I'm really, I'm stressed out. I'm having some anxiety over this purchase, feeling a great amount of buyer's remorse and stress. So guess what I did? I went through my tension relieving behaviors. Now I've been on a diet now for the past three months. I've lost um, almost eleven pounds. I've lost uh, about two pant sizes, maybe not two pant sizes, uh, at least a full pant size, even more, and a shirt size. I am feel stronger and faster and better than I ever have before, but I've also been tired. Some of that has a result of the fact that I've had a lower calorie uh, diet, and some of it has just been stress. So this has all happened and corresponded over a period of time where I've been dealing with some pretty intense stress at the church. We had to make some really tough sacrifices, had to let a few people go. Uh, we shifted our music program significantly, and all of that really resulted in me as the pastor just feeling this incredible burden. And so there was a couple of nights, actually many nights, where I'm in the middle of the night and I'm having a full-blown just fear and anxiety. And I'm the pastor, right? So um, this is where journaling really became helpful. So I got up and I realized, I said, you know, I'm not going to solve what I'm dealing with with this truck purchase because I'm feeling a lot of guilt. So I got up. And I just focused on it, and I began to say to myself, okay, what is it that I'm feeling? So I got up, and I said to myself, I'm just, I, I need to do something. I've got to deal with this. And so I just began to do a little bit of journaling. I did a little calculating the numbers. Um, I was probably up 35, 40 minutes, and then I went back to sleep. And then I, I slept soundly for the rest of the night, woke up. And uh, for the most part, I was still a little tired because my, you know, in the middle of the night, that deep sleep, restorative sleep was disrupted. Now, here's the problem. When your sleep is disrupted on a consistent basis, it actually releases cortisol into your body. And cortisol is a, a stressful hormone that's released into your body during intense periods of, of, or, or of stress, etc. It's, it's designed actually to heighten your fight or flight syndrome. But if that cortisol is constantly being released through your body all the time, that it's actually quite damaging to your body, can, can lead to heart disease, it can lead to diabetes, all kinds of things, weight gain, etc. And I can just tell you that in my life, I have not done a good job 
of of managing stress. And as a result, I've had weight problems. I've also engaged in in some poor eating habits. So I can look back and this is what happened. So that night I'm feeling all this stress, right? And then this is what happened. I went back and I looked at my food log and I was like, oh my gosh, I've just been stressed out. I've been overeating. I've been eating like a little fatty, eat my little cookies and stuff. And I'm like that that's not that's not even corresponding with my goals to lose weight and I have some very thought out things that I'm trying to accomplish and here I am responding to the stress. So you see the vicious cycle that is developed here. So how do you reduce this anxiety? And this is really important because if we don't if we don't do things to reduce our anxiety, what ends up happening is is that we live lives in bondage again. And we get back into that bondage cycle, and then we wonder how we got here. And so if Christ is true, if 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 all of this stuff is true that I keep talking about here on the show, if grace is real, we have to give ourselves some grace, and we also have to trust God. So this is what to do. So if you have this happen to you, one of the things that you could do is get up, First of all, and attack the problem. So I attacked the problem. This is how I was feeling. I did a little bit of journaling. I did a little calculating. And, you know, I walked away and said, no, I didn't make a bad decision. I'm comfortable with it. And as soon as I did that, I remember just feeling a sense of peace. Now, isn't that amazing? I should have done it earlier in the evening instead of just responding and and reacting. I could have been proactive instead of just, you know, overeating, eating some cookies and doing some things I probably shouldn't have done and blowing my diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of doing that, if I'd just taken a little bit of time to journal out my feelings and, and actually do some calculating, I probably could have gotten a better night's sleep. And also, it would have relieved some of the stress that I felt the next day. And I, and I find that one of the challenges of this life that we lead is that a lot of people are living lives where they're burned out, not because they're not good at their work, they're burned out because they're stressed out. And they haven't developed good, good ways of, of going through the process of reducing stress. And so one of the things that I want to just recommend to you is not only journaling, because, you know, journaling for me solves all problems, right? No, not really, but it is it is a very helpful technique. But one of the things that you can also do, and here's a prayer, is pray. And if you don't know what to pray, and if you don't like, Lord, please help me with my anxiety, that's good. I mean, that's a great prayer, but here's one that I love. It comes out of the prayer book that we use our church, and here it is, ready? Lord God, you know our every weakness. Put away from us all worry in every anxious fear. Having ended the work and play of this day under your care and protection, we now commit ourselves and all whom we love into your gracious keeping. And as night comes, provide for us, we pray, your priceless gift of sleep through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And if that brings us to the end of this podcast. So if you're looking for a prayer, here's a prayer for you. Lord God, you know our every weakness. Put away from us all worry and every anxious fear. Having ended the work and play of this day under your care and protection, we now commit ourselves and all whom we love into your gracious keeping. 
And as night comes, provide for us, we pray, your priceless gift of sleep. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Hard to believe that another podcast is in the bag. And now, Grace Nation, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative Production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit mygracenation.com.